Hi everyone, welcome to Training with Casey, where we explore animal training and living our best lives with animals. I'm Joseph Laughlin, producer of this podcast, and now here's your host, Casey Covert. Let's get started. In the water, and so they don't want to do that so readily. But that's also a problem for marine mammals. So one of the things we did when training marine mammals is to always double up the cues. We had an acoustic cue and a visual cue. Because if you gave only visual cues, another animal might pop up in the way of, in the line of sight of the animal that you're working with. And all of a sudden they can't complete their behavior from no fault of their own. If you give an acoustic cue, maybe another animal splashes your animal with water and they couldn't hear it. So when you double up the cues, they had two chances to perceive what you were trying to say to them. Nonetheless, if you were going to teach a backwards flip to a sea lion, you could do the whole thing in two and a half weeks, but the one inch of that animal going through the air-water interface would be the hardest part of the whole behavior to teach. It would take me longer to get a smooth targeting through that air-water interface and back in with that, that animal trying to flip. So he's coming out, so his, his throat is facing the sky, and he's supposed to re-enter the water with his belly up. But as soon as he comes out of the water, he wants to flip over. So he dives in back up and not belly up. And all of his perception changes at that air-water interface. He's comfortable with things in the air. He's comfortable with things in the water. He's not so very comfortable with things right at that air-water interface where he goes back and forth, back and forth between those two things. Okay, so those are differences in perception. Then there's also differences in communication. And we can gain a lot of skill by navigating through those. So when you're trying to communicate with animals, you're in, you're in danger if you try to speak animalese. Now, I'm a person that speaks or has studied. I don't speak. I, I've studied, I don't know, I think five languages. I'm no genius at it, but I can kind of get around in a number of different languages. But if I can't think of a word, I may very well use a French word in a Spanish conversation. Really? It's an error, right? I did not, I did not know that about you. Well, I'm you finding know, things out about our hosts. Yeah, <laughs> but I find out I'm not by any means the only person. Well, we can do the same thing when we're communicating with animals. So. For a while, there were all these dog people that thought that a yawn meant that a dog was stressed. And when you teach a dog... Maybe we shouldn't mention yawning. Okay, sorry. Sorry, yeah. We're having a late night, folks. Bear with us. So um, the when we teach these animals to relax, they would yawn. And a bunch of people would jump up and say, you made this animal yawn. He is stressed. Well, had the pleasure and privilege of 
talking to two researchers that did some, oh, are you yawning? That's terrible. Two researchers um, that were, had done the research that demonstrated that yawning can indicate stress. But when we asked them right there, they said, no, actually it doesn't always indicate stress. But because people read that it could, they extrapolated, they projected that into, that's what it means. If you think about it for us, you're not stressed, but when I said the word yawning, you started to yawn. You're anything but stressed. And we yawn when we're tired, when we're relaxing, if we're trying to make somebody else think we're relaxed. And we may yawn when we're stressed also. But a lot of times we don't really understand the, the gestural and embodied words that the animals use to communicate with us. So these embodied words can differ and the habits of the animals can differ. So let's say you're working with gorillas and orangutans. They're usually in the same part of the zoo. And I have frequently gone from one type of ape to the second type of ape. Well, what could be easier, right? Wrong. Orangutans do not seem to really mind eye contact. And gorillas do. If you stare at a gorilla, where an orangutan will probably look down and try to show you something or want to see what you're doing, a gorilla will run over to the side and hit the glass. And so are you saying that I should never make eye contact with the gorilla? Well, let me just put it this way. You better earn his tolerance first. Because otherwise, you're going to just irritate him. He's not going to want to deal with you. And he'll be doing aggressive posturing and so on when he sees you. Whereas if you start out respectfully, then you can, in my experience, work up to direct eye contact, especially when you're working on something together. So you, you, they don't, even though they're similar biologically, they do not use the same communication systems. Now here's some place where SATs is really dynamite because we have another option. I don't try to speak gorilla and I don't try to speak orangutan and I don't try to speak dog. I just name and explain things in English and I create concepts and more vocabulary using name and explain and bridging and sats next thing you know within two minutes i can communicate like 13 body parts or i can do the two kinds of bridges the target then up to a second of duration and then left right up and down in less than six minutes we're off to the races the language grows so quickly I don't need to pretend that I'm a gorilla and try to use gorilla gestures. Instead, I'll use gestures that we create together that we have an agreed upon meaning. Okay, so 
Uh, there's one other aspect when you're working with multiple animals and gestures. Oh, yeah. And that is that I talked about the difference between species, but what about in a single species? So have you ever worked with a dog that was kind of menacing? Like you you were a little bit concerned about whether that dog was safe? Yeah, I... I've had moments like that when I was volunteering at the animal shelter. Okay. So how do you interact with your little dog? I've seen you. Where do you hold your dog? At arm's length on the floor or? Wherever he feels comfortable. Yeah, he comes right up on your lap and yeah. sits right next to your face and so on. That would not be how, uh, you know, like a um, molosser or, um, and it, well, he, they are all molossers, but I wouldn't start out that way with a Great Dane or a Canicorus or a Canipresario or, uh, you know, all, all these various kinds of dogs that are very kind of more rigid and more demanding of respect. What would be very appropriate with your little dog just would not work with these dogs. So once again, you don't want to be locked into an idea that you actually speak their language because their language is not only different between different species, but different across a single species. So then we have uh, the multiple cues we talked about. And then we have something that we'll just spend a minute on trainable versus untrainable animals. Have you ever been introduced to an animal and been told that it wasn't very trainable? No, I haven't. Okay, when I first started in zoos, people used to say, for example, that dogs were more trainable than cats, that lions were more trainable than leopards, that Asian elephants were more trainable than African elephants. The fact I've is, heard that theory. You have? Well, I don't believe it's true. I find them all to be equally trainable. However, a cat, a pig, an African elephant is more likely to get upset than a dog or a tiger or a lion or a cow. And when they get upset, they become dangerous. They're emotional. They are not thinking the way they normally would. They're not calm. They're whipping around. They may be frightened. They may be angry. And so from that perspective, all your training has gone down the drain at that time. Another way to look at it is you need to study more about how to work with animals without making them upset. And of course, with SATs, that's all the uh, realm of perception modification. But all of these animals, not only do they seem to be in many ways equally intelligent, but they're all equally trainable. They're not necessarily equally able to perform under stress. 
And so what can we do about that? And when you're working with multiple species, I think it's really important to realize that you're not a specialist. You can't act one way. You always have to stay on your toes and be ready to be safe and to recognize that you're not going to be Zen with every kind of animal that exists. So there's a progression in how we go forward when we're working with multiple species. So first of all, I like to use barriers. I like to start training over a fence or through a wall interface, something like that, because do you remember the video with the wolf? Yes, I remember that. I taught that. that wolf a lot of things in a short amount of time. They actually took me inside with him first because he was very friendly and you could go inside. But what's going to happen if I come there to train their wolf? They don't need me to be friends with their wolf. Right. They need me to give him as much critical information as possible. What do you think is going to happen when I go in with the wolf? That wolf is going to look at you like, okay, why are you in my environment? Who are you? And what is going on? Yeah, what are you made of? He's going to step on my feet. He's going to try to go through my pocket. He's going to put his teeth on my jacket edge. All these things that have nothing to do with his learning. So I asked them to take me back outside. And we worked through the wall interface. And that wolf just went lickety split. He learned 44 things in two hours. I think that's amazing. So we, we use barriers. Now, here's another thing. We talk about the two-finger target with the dogs. Would you start with a two-finger target with lions and tigers? Why is that? Are you just a little chicken? Whoops, maybe not right for prime time. Okay. Are you a little we'll bleep that excrement? out. Yeah. So the problem is it's not safe. But we can use something like a fly swatter on the outside of the exhibit so that they have to go where the fly swatter is, but they don't necessarily have direct contact with it where they could drag it into their exhibit. For a reinforcer, instead of feeding them by hand, maybe we have a little spray bottle and we spray goat milk into their mouth. Maybe we use the feeding chute and we drop their food safely down into their chute once they burned it. Or maybe we use targets that we make out of a lid. So it's got a handle on our side and a flat surface on the animal's side. And he's got this big, broad surface that he can target through the fence and it's no danger to him and it's no danger to us. So first we're over a barrier, then we're using things to make life safer. Then we're going to do training that takes the animal through a lot of successes. In the first stages of training, we don't want any big, brilliant successes. We want thousands of tiny success. We want that animal to live in a cloud of success. Because when that happens, he's confident, he's happy, he's enjoying things. And he is building a habit of being safe and appropriate and successful. And that's what we want to have happen. 
And when you learn how to do that for not one species, but many species, you start to have a really good foundation for your ability to be Zen as a trainer. And that's what I had to say about that. It was fun hearing that, Casey. Well, I, I look forward to you uh, testing out some of this stuff with your various animals. And once again, I'd love it to hear what you actually find as you go through. So you said you're in more the husbandry perspective right now, right? Uh -huh. Do you name what you're going to do and where you're going to go? Do you no. show the animals your cleaning equipment? Yeah. That's a good thing. And do they know the names of them? Uh -uh. That's easy to do, right? Yeah. You could do things like name the different things that you use and then let the animal target on it. If that's appropriate in your particular, you know, like I don't know what the rules are where you are. There's lots of little things that you can do that make things uh, just better and more fun for you and also for the animals. Okay, well, keep us posted, okay? Will do. All right, well, everybody, it's so great to be here with you and with Joseph today. <laughs> we uh, are going to sign off. We both had a really long day, but this was a great end to it. Thank you very much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Have a good night, everyone. Bye-bye. Hey, fans. Are you enjoying training with Casey? Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts from. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Casey Covert on YouTube. That is youtube.com forward slash C slash Casey Cover. Also, give the podcast a like, share, and comment. Thanks for joining us. Come back for more news and views on animal training and living with animals. Stay at the top of the pack with Casey. This is Joseph Laughlin, producer of Training with Casey. See you next time.